Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV. Thanks for watching us. Thanks for listening to us. If you prefer the podcast, a lot of good stuff on the Coindesk Podcast Network as well. I'm Zach Seward. That's Will Foxley, Jen Sanasi. We're here to take you on a little sprint through the crypto news of today, Monday, August 7th. Let's do it. I'm starting us off. PayPal. Gotta love a good PayPal headline. Remember, folks, PayPal started the last bull run, and this may be a sign of something more to come. PayPal to issue dollar pegged stablecoin based on Ethereum. It's a pretty big headline. This has been in the works for a while now, reportedly, searching back to 2022. So, not new news per se, but reportedly, they've been working on uh, adventuring further into the crypto ecosystem with their own stablecoin. And now we're seeing it in partnership with Paxos, which was its initial foray into the crypto world in the first place. So really big headline, interesting to see a big fintech provider issuing its own stablecoin with Paxos. Pretty crazy to see this as you know, PayPal went from highly custodial crypto buying and selling service to now issuing its own stablecoin on Ethereum. Pretty wild and a lot of responses uh, around the crypto community today on this news. Jen, I'm going to throw it your way. PayPal taking that next step, I guess. I hope this kickstarts the next full run because I could use some excitement that doesn't have to do with hacks and exploits. I don't know if it's going to, though. But when I read this story, um, I just think this is Web 2.5 at its finest, right? We talk about people being educated, people understanding what's going on, what we talk about here on the show every day. And I think the best way for that education to happen is by using the product, getting out there and like and playing around. I know we've called it Crypto University. Uh, sometimes on the show. And I think that PayPal is making that easier. There are so many challenges and roadblocks when you're, when you're playing around with crypto. And so I think that this is really exciting. And that when, when people are able to use PayPal's uh, stablecoin, they will understand maybe the ins and outs of crypto a little bit better. And they'll be able to take that next step. And they themselves may be able to progressively decentralize in the way that they interact with crypto. So all in all, I think this is a good news story. It reminded me of Visa's announcement. I believe it was in 2021. Visa said that I think settled a transaction with USDC. And then earlier this year, that conversation came back around. So I hope to hear an update soon 
on what Visa is doing um, around stable coins. And I hope that these big financial players playing with stable coins, getting into it, taking the customer on that progressive decentralization journey will push Congress to finally come to some kind of agreement on a stable coin bill. Those are all my thoughts here. But all in all, a great news story. Wendy, what do you think? This is absolutely atrocious. I don't like it one bit. I remember I used to actually be very bullish on getting a stable coin like a, like a CBDC before I before I did a lot of due diligence and I had quite a few experts on my channel back in like 2019, 2020 right before the panorama um to kind of talk about. It. I was like this is great. It's going to be great for mass adoption. I'm super excited. But then I actually started looking into it and seeing what it looked like and seeing what they were doing in other places of the world and different types of control that they can have, how they can resend a transaction, how they could automatically remove money from you, how they could monitor you. So I don't like this. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, unfortunately, it's coming. One of the things that does make me a little bit worried is that they're going to directly compete with USDC. I made some content about it this morning. And my personal opinion, I feel like the public servants are allowing different large entities that I have a lot of control with to create their own stable coins to essentially compete against each other to see which one does better, which has better surveillance, and then pick that one to become the ultimate CBDC. Because it doesn't make sense to me for the United States of America to have multiple different CBDCs. I feel like they're going to need to have one. But I do understand the need for competition. But at the same time, we're going to take something that's going to actually replace the US dollar do we need competition with that? Like, how is that going to work? And also, it's going to be Ethereum. And that just makes me very, very bullish for my Ethereum bags. Not selling anytime soon. I have one question on your rebuttal there, Wendy. PayPal can already rescind transactions. They're already doing this. Doesn't this just kind of open up crypto to a broader audience? And should they have the concerns that you just mentioned? People can of do other they things. Should. They don't need to interact with this. Of course they should. The whole reason why we Bitcoin, why we crypto is because we want to have control over our assets and we don't trust third parties. We always want to make sure that we're custodying our own assets. So again, like when you use a third party like PayPal or the banks or whatever that is, um, it makes me a little bit nervous to, to think about that. I don't want people having control over my money, even my money that's in a bank. When we had the bank runs that were happening and the banking contagion that the public servants blamed on crypto, that was a little bit worrisome to know that more than $250,000 is an insured plus the limited amount of reserves that FDIC actually has for the entire entire population or the entire deposits of the United States of America. That is worrisome. I guess I'll zoom out a little bit and say like all stable coins are thir third party issuers, right? Like Tether is a big third party issuer that has money sitting in a bank account somewhere. It's Circle. I mean, it's all like I will say like stable coins are a killer use case, right? Like arguably they're the most killer use case that crypto has brought to bear on the world to date, right? The ability to send money cross borders uh, fast, quick, easy. And to see PayPal take this step saying, hey, we kind of endorse this vision of making stable coins a bigger part of how commerce gets done in the world. I think that's a huge signal. I think that's really fascinating to see. Also that it's going to be built on Ethereum is also notable. The bigger questions that you're bringing up are certainly relevant to the stablecoin conversation. I don't think they're unique to PayPal in this instance. I think PayPal just becomes another in a long line of issuers uh, that we've seen here in the past three, four, five years wake up and say, oh, wow, stablecoins are a great way to zap money around the world in a digitally native environment. Let's do it. Whether it's you know BUSD worked with Paxos and issued a similar thing. Now we get to see PayPal USD sort of attempt to do something similar. I think it's super fascinating. But I'll toss it back to you, Wendy, for your thoughts. Um, one of my team members just sent me something from the actual, um, from the Coindesk article, I believe. It says, focusing on education, understanding, and adoption of digital currencies. 
Um, but basically, PayPal is focused on increasing co- consumer and merchant comprehension of cryptocurrencies, stablecoins, and central bank digital currencies while working closely with regulators as the industry evolves. So again, this is going to be a marketing tactic, in my personal opinion. They are working very closely with regulators. And I think that what they're doing is they're going to get this stuff pushed through. And they're going to make people think, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. This is going to help improve your quality of life. But really, all it's doing is just making the um, United States of America more of a nanny state. And I understand that banks and you know PayPal, whatever, can go ahead and resend those transactions. But that's a whole reason why we Bitcoin is very appealing. And same with other crypto assets. Once you click that send and you confirm, that money is gone. And there's no way for merchant chargebacks. Um, there's no way for your assets to be taken just as long as you own your private, you know, you have your private seed phrase stored safely. So again, this is very worrisome to me. I don't like it, but I will grift and I will make money as ethically as possible with everybody else. It's a really deep history corner for everyone. This the whole thing that struck me here was like comparing Tether, which is offshore of the United States, and then PayPal and it's now launch a PAX USD. And the fact that we've done this in American history with our economic system for like about 200 plus years, going back to like the founding fathers with Andrew Hamilton, where we essentially outlawed any sort of competition from overseas, built systems internally, and then set those systems out on a larger world and began to dominate. We've seen that in tons of times within like US history with different industries, whether it be like railroads, the oil industry, to modern finance. Now we're seeing with stable coins too, right? Where we banned Tether from being able to interact with anything. They were chased off seas in many different ways by so many different lawsuits. And they're huge, right? $84 billion stable coin, the biggest stable coin out there. And then we sort of created these parameters for someone to build something within the United States that's going to be like rubber stamped by all the uh, agencies that are in Washington. And now we're seeing that. So we're seeing the birth of like an American stable coin here. Uh, much in the same way that USDC has tried to be, I think PayPal can be even bigger because it already has brand name and the fact it's on everyone's wallet uh, or on their phone at this point. So that's my history corner for you guys. It's been a little bit since I've done that. But I think this the is... deep cut. This is that was, cool this, did we get Founding Fathers mentioned in there? Was that a yeah. get a Founding Jeffrey Fathers Shout out. Wow, we went all damn. the way back to the Founding Fathers. <gasps> Amazing. Jen, Time is a flat next. circle, friends. We got to get Will on an American history podcast. I listened to that all day. Will Coindesk work on that? All right, let's move <laughs> on over to another uh, stablecoin story. One not as positive. So Huobi's stablecoin reserves are down thirty percent on reports that several executives were arrested in China, according to data from Nansen. Traders have withdrawn forty nine million dollars in stablecoins over the past week. Amid uncertainty, a spokesperson for Huobi is denying reports of the arrests. Zach, going to toss this one over to you. What do you make of this news? There are also some rumors of insolvency that we can dive into later. But what do you make of the story? Yeah, another stablecoin story, but quite different in tenor. Uh, I don't know what to make of Wobi anymore, right? Like, I really don't. It's really hard to see what's going on in their world. We saw a lot of reports, uh, I guess, last week that Binance is pretty active in the Chinese market. I think Wobi has long been linked to the Chinese market as well. So presumably, there's something going on there. China's regulatory posture on crypto remains mercurial at best and often rather opaque, right? Um, if we're seeing reports or rumors of detentions uh, relating to these people who are you know, behind this project, yeah, that's going to spook a lot of investors. And I think we're seeing sort of a flight from the, this platform's products. So yeah, it, it, who knows? Who knows? Really, Wobi, I think, is one of those uh, you know, big exchange 
big presence uh, in the Asian markets. But you know, as it relates to their presence in China, I know that's been fraught for a long time now. And this is a continuation of that story. But Will, curious for your take. Yeah. So the Justin Sun stuff, I was looking back through the spring. I feel like we just cut through so many headlines on the show. I was losing track of when Justin Sun Huobi uh, had that perfect marriage happen. Sometime, I think around March, but I can be corrected in a second. And that turned he- everyone's heads, right? Because Justin Sun has been uh, the owner of a few different exchanges in the past, the Tron Network, obviously. There's been a lot of different people in the press coming after him. There's been litigation. There's him being chased out of China and that whole story. And so uh, him going to Huobi, a huge exchange within the ecosystem, sort of a pillar in East Asia for trading and exchanging, him going into that spot made some people uneasy. And they're wondering, like, oh, is he just coming in to bail it out and set it up because he has a lot of funds? Or is this kind of the death knell for Huobi, the last ditch effort to be able to, like, stand itself back up on its feet? This story here... I don't know. I think we got to wait a little bit. We have seen many of these stories in the past of where like there's been executives arrested in China and like we don't quite know because there's a lot of state sponsored media in China. And so it's often difficult to know like what the truth is until a few weeks afterwards. Like I can already think of three or four stories where we've had similar instances in the past and sometimes they turn out to be true and sometimes not so much to be true. From my understanding, a lot of the key executives and key personnel will be had left China quite a while ago after China started banning a lot of these trading practices going back in 2021. I think a lot of people just think of like Bitcoin mining being banned in China in 2021, but there was many more edicts from the Communist Party during that time around crypto that forced a lot of these exchanges to move to different parts of East Asia, like Singapore or Hong Kong or Japan, Indonesia, etc. So I'm, I'm a little surprised that there's still probably key personnel there that could be touched by the Chinese Communist Party. I guess it's sort of sort of shows you that people felt maybe comfortable and able to move back in if these reports are confirmed to be true. But we'll have to wait, I think, for a little more detail before uh, I start calling for any problems with Huobi itself. Throw it over to you, Jen. Yeah, there's some data in this article from DeFi Llama that shows the total value locked is at $2.5 billion. And this is down from over $3 billion at the beginning of the year. And I think probably the most interesting part is it shows 26.5% of holdings in Tron's native token, then another 20% in Huobi's native token, the exchange's native token. And if you click on the story at the very bottom of the article, it takes you to a Coindesk article from last year where there's a representative from CryptoQuant who says that Huobi's reserves have a highly risky setup at the moment. They went on to say tokens issued by the company itself are a risk to the company's net health since it's difficult to sustain the veracity of the issuance of these coins. At that time, it was amid the FTX fallout. So we were talking a lot about proof of reserves and Huobi had published proof of reserves. But if you dive deeper into the article, the question here uh, comes to proof of liabilities. I think that um, you know someone did reach out to Huobi on these proof of liabilities. They were never published. And so this conversation about Huobi's uh, holdings and if they are solvent or insolvent has been going on for a little while. And so it will be interesting to see what happens after the arrest of these executives. Of course, these are all just rumors and nothing has been confirmed. But this conversation has been happening since uh, the fall of FTX. Wendy, what do you think? Four. I'm just kidding, guys. I We need a lot more information to come out before we make judgments yet, I think. But I will say at the same time, you should never trust a crypto exchange. So if you've got your funds on Huobi, you probably should remove them. And that goes for every single crypto exchange, even Coinbase, because things can always happen. You never know. And if you're not in complete control of your crypto assets or your fiat cash, you should probably, you know, 
look at the risk for that. So I hope everybody's safe. I hope Huobi is fine. I hope nobody's been arrested. But at the same time, you cannot trust. You have to verify. I got to fact check myself really quickly here. Go for it. it. August or October of 2022, they became, Justin Sun became a global advisory board member for Huobi. But also in that same blog post, it said he was now like the leader of Huobi. So little discrepancy there. All right. Good fact check. We're going to talk about a feel-good story here. World Coins, Nairobi, warehouse raided by Kenyan police, local reports. This is how I like to see public servants work. I like to see them actually protect the people and provide them with actual service. So the recap is that Kenyan government suspended WorldCoin's operations last week, citing security concerns. If you guys aren't familiar with how WorldCoin works, they basically take your biometric data. They give you like 50 US dollars, some of their WorldCoin, and they store it safely for you. Um, Kenyan Capital Markets Authority was concerned about the ongoing registration and told Kenyans that WorldCoin was not regulated in Kenya. Kenyan law states individuals have the right to not have any personal information unnecessarily acquired or unnecessarily revealed. And the latest Kenyan police and multi-agency officials raided Nairobi Warehouse of WorldCoin. Raid was conducted under the supervision of the official Office of Data Production Consumer. Confiscated documents and machines. Machines contain data gathered by WorldCoin, which is actually the funny part of this because they're supposed to keep your data safe. So we don't know the people that registered that their data is there. Who knows if that's going to get out or not? And this is a conundrum that we're going to be seeing on a global scale. Um, I understand what WorldCoin's use case is, and I understand the predatory practices that they're doing. But at the same time, there's public servants on a global scale that might not approve or appreciate it, especially some of these other regions that um, have different privacy laws in the United States of America. I want to actually toss this over to Will and get your thoughts on it, because why not? The most important thing here in this whole article is that the commissioner of Kenya's Office of Data Protection, his name is Immaculate. Cassate, which is a very, very cool name. If you were arrested by someone named Immaculate, I would just be just be, be okay. I would just be like, okay, whatever. You can do whatever well, you want with me. You have a great name. Okay. Let's go into the story itself a little bit. That's just an aside. You start moving around money and you start scanning people's eyeballs over the world, you're going to turn heads. And I bet OpenAI and the whole WorldCoin team saw a little bit of this coming at some point, right? We've seen this with so many different tokens over the years, so many different projects. They roll out globally and then they hit roadblocks along the way. This one's notable, of course, because it happens so fast. And typically these things take a little bit longer. But there was reports as of even like last week, uh, people lining up in countries all over the world to get their eyeballs scanned for like the 25 world coin tokens that you were issued. I believe we even have one person on the show who did get their eyeballs scanned. So we can talk about that in just a second here. Uh, I think like this whole story shows you how difficult it is to launch a crypto project. This reminds me a lot of Binance, which of course has jumped all over the world. It's an exchange. It's not a token, though they do have a token. And they've been chased out of a lot of areas just because people are not quite ready for crypto in a lot of ways. And WorldCoin itself is a more ambitious project. Zach? Yeah, it's my eyeballs, guys. I gave my eyeballs up to WorldCoin. I'm fine with it. They're all I didn't encrypted. think you would have done good. it, Zach. Zach's it. scripting for the bag. I go away There's for no one week involved. and Zach has no scanned his eyeballs. It was there. It was there in Japan. I was at the <laughs> event. I, I scanned them. I'm, I'm ready for the AI future, guys. I'm going to have my proof of personhood. <laughs> it's going to be great. I mean, you guys are just going to be duplicated by the AIs. It's going to be it's going to be bad. But yeah, I think a lot of local factors are at play here. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in like Kenyan politics. So just full disclosure there. Uh, but <laughs> I think on. this ruffled a lot of feathers, right? <laughs> 
there was long lines in a lot of these um, jurisdictions where this uh, scanning thing was taking place across the world. And that caused issues reportedly in Kenya specifically with uh, impeding access to various things. So it's unclear what's motivating a lot of these things, I think, specifically with this instance. And it's hard to say if this is a well thought out plan by Kenyan officials or if this is something else. Right. And I think, um, you know, that is the problem with uh, trying to roll out a project that is uh, relies on proof of personhood. Right. You got to show up. You got to give your eyeballs and you got to be able to have your hash be matched to certain data within your phone and elsewhere such that your identity is uh, confirmed, at least according to the math behind these things. So that I don't know. I really don't know what to make this story. Worldcoin is getting hit from all angles, I would say. This is not the only jurisdiction that is kicking the tires on this thing and wondering if everything's A-OK. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can sort of, again, right the ship, weather the storm, and continue on with what is pretty ambitious and audacious in terms of goals, both for this project and other things that are sort of within the Sam Altman empire. So yeah, interesting one to watch. Definitely Worldcoin is sort of center stage right now, I think, in the crypto conversation. But yeah, Jen, what are you thinking? that WorldCoin had to kind of expect this to happen in multiple different jurisdictions. And this is probably the first. I know like late last month, the data regulator in Kenya came out with a tweet advising people to, you know, if you're going to go get your eyeball scan, make sure you understand what's going on. Make sure you ask the right questions. Make sure you understand how your data is being stored. I don't think you can rely on people to ask the right questions if they don't really understand first the data regulation, they don't understand how their data can be used in the future. And so I look forward to seeing what comes from this. Personally, the jury is out on WorldCoin for me. I don't think it is super bad or super good. I'm still waiting for more information here. But I will say that the data regulators have really failed consumers on so many different levels when it comes to the government itself storing your data and a lot of private companies. And so I don't think that this is as big as a story as everyone is making it. There are a lot of private companies out there who don't store your data. We see this store your data properly. We see this come out in the headlines. We see this play out in the courts when there are data breaches and these companies are sued. And so I don't think that this is as novel as maybe some are making it out to be. Wendy Guys, we have to talk about Bitcoin. Account. I know Wendy, Wendy put on a tiara, but we have to bypass it and go and talk about Bitcoin. For a second before we close it's out all the related. show. It's all related. <laughs> it's all related. Okay, let's talk about Bitcoin and let's talk about it in relation to both MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor in the world of crypto hedge funds. You bought Bitcoin this year. You're actually doing better than if you were investing in a crypto hedge fund. According to a new report from investment advisor 21E6 Capital, crypto hedge funds return an average of 15% during the period versus an 83% gain for Bitcoin. It's again, according to 21E6 Capital. Now that's tying into MicroStrategy, which has been doubling down on its Bitcoin buys, issuing another $750 million worth of common shares for ostensibly to go and buy more Bitcoin. Michael Saylor began buying Bitcoin in August of 2020. And once again, they're nearing the black as opposed to the deep, deep red they've been in with those Bitcoin buys for a little bit here. Zach, any takes on Michael Saylor buying more Bitcoin? Coin go up, coin go down. You look really good in the good times, really bad in the bad. <laughs> and he's just sticking it out mm. no matter what so he can get access to the upside and downside when it comes to the public spotlight. Currently, he's looking great. This time last year, not so hot. It's going to change. He's not going anywhere. He's got the conviction. 
We'll do this whole cycle like three more times when the chart flips. It's going to be great. I mean, I think it's going to be great. I think it is. The research report you mentioned is interesting. The crypto hedge fund stuff. So yeah, Bitcoin. Go Bitcoin. That's all I got. Jen. Yeah. You know, Sailor is like the hodler, I feel. And there was some data that came out this morning that's going to be in the chart of the day that showed that long-term Bitcoin holders hold 14.5 million Bitcoin, which equals 75% of circulating supply right now, which I think is pretty cool. And Michael Saylor is one of those one of those people who's just been holding on and good for him. Wendy? This story actually means to me that BlackRock increased their Bitcoin holdings because BlackRock owns approximately 8.10% of MicroStrategy. Everything is connected. Everything is intertwined. I'm happy that Michael Saylor is grifting and buying Bitcoin. That's free marketing for my bag. So Michael Saylor, thank you so much for pumping my Bitcoin bag. So I don't know. I don't, th- I'm not very excited about this story at all. I don't really care about billionaires and rich people buying Bitcoin. I think that, I mean, they can because we're supposed to operate in a true decentralized economy, but Bitcoin was created for the people, by the people to help the underdogs, to help people like me, to help people like you. And I don't really care too much about Michael Saylor. It's a big nothing burger to me. Sorry. All right. All right. Well, we'll end the show on that note. Uh, That's it for the hash today. Thanks, everybody. I'm Zach. We got Wendy. We got Jen. We got Will. We'll be back tomorrow and we will talk to y'all soon. Thanks so much. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening 